Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. continue studying in the book of Matthew. And over the past uh, several weeks, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus elevated and helped us to understand that our relationship with the Lord is a matter of the heart. Sadly, in the lives of the Jewish people, many of their leaders, religious leaders and teachers, had made relationship with the Lord a matter of outward observance. They'd become very, very harsh and very cruel and so firm in the enforcement of, of the commandments. Relationship with God is a matter of the heart. The heart. And throughout the book of Matthew, God, by his Holy Spirit, leads Matthew to emphasize the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, the last few verses in the book of Matthew, Jesus shares with his disciples and with us that all authority both in the heaven and on the earth, are his. And as we study through the, the Sermon on the Mount, and as we look at this passage today, we see that Jesus teaches with authority because he is the authority. He is God, the living word. He is God, the Son. And he has authority over all creation. He has authority over disease, disaster, and the demons of hell. And so as we look at this passage, actually several passages here, beginning in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, 
we see that the Lord Jesus Christ provides healing. Now, we looked at a passage last week. Jesus healed the, the servant of the centurion. And he made a statement that in all of Israel he hadn't seen faith like the, the faith expressed by the centurion who was a Gentile. He wasn't even a Jew. And Jesus made the statement that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God is the God of all people. Every person belongs to him. There are those who like to say, well, this is my life and no one has the right to tell me how to live my life. It's my life. No. Your life doesn't belong to you. Your life belongs to God. We are His. And you can choose to live like a child of the devil if you want to. But you will bear the consequence and the consequences for that choice. But let us begin reading, please. Matthew chapter 8. And beginning at verse 14. Now when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. There was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, we come to you again. We ask your blessing upon your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. And touch each heart and life, as only you can. To the glory and to the honor of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray and to his name. Amen. So we see here that the Lord provides healing. 
Peter's mother-in-law is healed. She has a fever. Now, what I find very interesting is that Peter is considered by the Catholic Church as the first pope. <laughs> and yet, Peter was married. You follow? Because this is his mother-in-law. His wife's mother lay sick with a fever. You follow? And over in the uh, books of Timothy, the writings that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said one of the doctrines of, of the devil, demons, was the forbidding of, of marriage and the abstaining from the eating of meats. Because both are inconsistent with what God commanded us to do in the book of Genesis. He brought Adam and Eve together and he told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And then after the flood, God told Noah that the animals, the fear of man would be placed in the, into the animals and that the animals would be a provision of food for them to eat. All right, now don't take my word for it. You can open up the book of Genesis and read it. So Peter was married. Interesting that he was the first pope. So, so. <laughs> but notice also that after the Lord Jesus heals her of this fever, she gets right up. She gets right up, and then she begins to serve. Because they were guests in her home. The Lord Jesus heals us and we demonstrate our gratitude to him and an acknowledgement of the wonderful privilege to be called a child of God through our service unto him and to one another. Amen. And then notice that they bring others to the Lord who are demon-possessed. Jesus has the power and the authority to deliver from spiritual bondage. There are so many people, so many people, unbelievers who are possessed. Now a believer cannot be possessed by the devil, but the believer can be oppressed and tempted. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was tempted out in the wilderness. Was he not after the, the, uh, the baptism of the Lord? The Bible says that the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, drove him into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And afterward, the Bible says he hungered. And the devil came tempting. And what did the, the Lord use to defeat the devil? He used the Word of God. Spiritual bondage. Jesus delivers from spiritual bondage. But notice they brought the people to Jesus. And we bear a responsibility to pray for our country, to pray for our family members, to pray for our neighbors, 
to pray for our people who live here in the United States of America, so many who are held in chains under spiritual bondage. And we're to pray for the politicians. Oh, what a fabulous Sunday school lesson. You've heard me quote this before. The Bible teaches the person who is unwilling to work should not eat. The Bible also goes on to say that every person has the responsibility to provide for himself. This idea that, that, that life owes anybody anything is a lie straight out of hell itself. We are to work. Now, there are those who are, who are preaching this false message, the idea that to work hard somehow is racist. That is a lie. That is not true. Right there in the scripture, it says that we are to be industrious people. God enables us to work. That too is found in the book of Genesis. Because of sin, God told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread all the days of your life. We are to work. We are to be industrious people. We are not to be lazy. We're sitting at home collecting a check from the government, of course, unless you worked for the government and you paid your taxes and your social security. That you are entitled to because you earned it. Jesus heals all the people who are brought to him. And he fulfills scripture over in the, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet. It's called the, one of the servant passages. The suffering servant. Jesus is that suffering servant. Yes, he was crucified on our behalf. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus has authority over disease, the devil and his demons, and over disasters. But now notice, a scribe. A scribe is a teacher of the law, a teacher of the Old Testament back in those days. And he comes to, to the Lord Jesus, and he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. When I hear that, it reminds me of the Apostle Peter. You remember on the night when the Lord said that someone would betray him? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, Oh, all of these guys, they may deny you. Or forsake you. I never will. Basically, I'll follow you to the death. Oh, within just a few hours. Some little damsel, the Bible says, was saying, oh, you're one of them. You're one of them. And what did Pete, Peter do? Mm, no, no, no. You're mistaken. You're mistaken. Oh, I... 
See, this man comes and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus puts it to the man this way. The birds, and the foxes, they all have a home. They all have a place that they can call home. Where they can rest their head and escape from the cares of the world, so to speak. A place where they can be safe and be at peace. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's talking about total commitment. Jesus came into the world for the express purpose of going to the cross. And then to the grave. And then rising up from the dead, ascending back to the Father, and he's coming again one day. Amen. Now, another man comes along, and he says, well, let me, let me first go and bury my, my father. Now, what you need to understand about this particular phrase, in the Middle East, and, and especially in the ancient times, it didn't mean that his father was dead. Basically, what it meant was, I will come and follow you after I have cared for my father until he dies. You follow? Because of the command to honor father and mother. So the children were to take care of their parents, especially when the parents became elderly. They would care for them. Now that might require five years or 10 years or 20 years or 25 years, however long the parents lived. That's what the man is expressing. Well, first let me take care of my father all the way until he passes from this life. Then I'll come and serve. You see, because sometimes people will read this and they'll say, well, it seems a little harsh the way Jesus put that. Let the dead bury their dead. He's talking about spiritually dead folks. But he also understands what this person is saying. He's saying, you know, maybe after a decade or two, I'll come and follow you. No, that's, that's not good enough. Total commitment is what is required. Now notice, as we move on here, we move to the, the third scene, the scene of a, a storm on the sea. There was a multitude of people that continuously surrounds Jesus. And never forget that Jesus was both God and man. Fully God, yet fully man. And guess what? As a man, he got tired. He became fatigued. He also needed rest and sleep. And so, he gathers the disciples. He says, let's... let's get a boat and let's go to the other side. He wanted to rest. So he gets into the boat. Now how do we know that he's tired? He, he falls asleep. He falls asleep. And a storm comes up. Now in the Greek, in the Greek, the way that, that it's communicated, this is no ordinary storm. It's believed by most scholars 
that it was a direct attack of the devil upon the Lord Jesus and the disciples who were with him. The words that are used there. Now consider, he just got through delivering people from demonic bondage and disease. You know that disease is coming to the human race as a result of sin. It's not God's desire that his, his people suffer with disease, but it is a consequence of the choice of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And as a result of the choices of humanity throughout all of the centuries that have passed. The severe storm. And notice that the disciples, at least six or seven of them, are seasoned fishermen. They've been out on the sea, fishing. Yet this, this, this storm is, is so great that the waves are now filling the boat, and they're afraid that they're going to sink. And Jesus must have been really tired because he's sleeping through all of it. And the Bible says, you know, they're, they're struggling, and he's sleeping. So they come to him, Lord, save us. We're perishing. We're about to die. They're filled with fear. And notice how the Lord Jesus responds. Why are you so fearful? Why? Stop for a moment and ask yourself that same question. You know, sadly, the government uses fear to control people in their lives. It's tragic, sad, so sad. The Bible teaches that we're to fear God and God alone. Throughout the scripture, God tells his, his prophets don't fear man. Fear God. Speak the truth and stand up for the truth. Proclaim the truth. And to do so without apology. And fear not those who can kill the body. No. Don't fear them. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. That's what Jesus says. So he tells them, why are you so fearful? Why should you be afraid when the Lord of life is in the boat with you? And why should we as God's children be afraid of anything when the Lord of life is with us? All of our lives, we all experienced storms. And there were other little boats on, on the sea at the same time. But only one boat here had the Lord in it. And Jesus says, why are you so fearful? 
And notice that he demonstrates his authority over all creation. And in the Greek, the word that's used actually means muzzled. He tells the wind and the sea to be muzzled. You know when you put a muzzle on a dog to keep it from barking? He says, be muzzled, be still, be quiet, and immediately the wind ceased and there was a tremendous calm. And those disciples on that boat experienced that and they were in awe. Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obeyed. Jesus reveals that he is God Almighty. So what do we learn from this passage, these differing events? First, the Lord Jesus is sovereign king with the ability and the power to heal our diseases. The condition. Every human being is diseased with the disease of sin. And there is only one cure. The blood of Christ which is shed upon the cross. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, forgiveness, or cleansing from sin. God, by his Holy Spirit, when a person comes, he's drawn by God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit enables a person to understand, to realize that they're a sinner. And that Jesus died on the cross for them, and they're drawn to him by God the Holy Spirit. Now, a person can, can acquiesce, that is, submit to God the Holy Spirit and come to the Lord Jesus, or they can reject. That is the unforgivable sin. You see, everything else we can be forgiven for. But we cannot be forgiven for rejecting or refusing Christ. There is no forgiveness for the one who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've said this before and we'll say it again. The believer cries out for mercy, for mercy, for God's mercy. And the unbeliever cries out for justice because they are ignorant of the love of God and what God has done for the human race by giving his son to die upon that cross. Mercy, mercy. Yes, they'll receive justice. The Lord Jesus, secondly, is sovereign king. He calms the storms of life. We all go through difficulties in life. We all suffer misery and pain and grief and loss. But our God is able to comfort and to console, to heal, to strengthen, and to give us hope. He is called the blessed hope, amen, our Lord Jesus. Who in here has not lost someone dear to them? Who in here has not suffered 
lost in so many different contexts. In the pain and the misery. Who in here has, has never known loneliness or misery? And yet, the Lord Jesus is able to calm the storms of our life. The Lord Jesus, thirdly, is sovereign king, and we are to dedicate our entire lives to him. Position, privilege, responsibility. We have what is referred to as a positional righteousness. God declares us righteous. Imagine that. The Bible says that, that Jesus takes our sin unto himself, and he enrobes us with his righteousness. So that when God the Father looks at us, he sees us as his righteous children. Not because we're righteous in our own power, no. But the righteousness of Christ enrobes us. How wonderful is that? It's called justification. It is a divine decree. God says, I declare you righteous. Amen. Amen. And notice the privilege that we have. We're the children of God. And we can call upon him at any time. Any time. God is never too busy to hear the prayers or to be touched by the weeping of a broken heart. God cares for his children. And then we have a responsibility to share his love with others. And then, like the disciples, we're to bring our brokenness, our confusion, our fears and our pains to the Lord Jesus in prayer. So many Christians, they follow Adam and Eve's example. They do something they know that is displeasing to God, and they go running to the bushes to hide. You can't hide from God. You can't hide from God. God the Holy Spirit, we talked about this on Wednesday night. One of his ministries, his job, if you will, is to convict us of our sin. And in so doing, he draws us to pray, to clean us up, to work as it, as it is, within us to clean us you see to bring us to the point where we acknowledge yes I'm guilty forgive me have mercy and God is able to mend he's able to heal and lastly here we're to entrust our all our past, our present and our future to the Lord Jesus. This is what brings glory to God. I've heard it said, you know, I'm, I'm not all 
that God intends for me to be yet. But thanks be to God, I'm not what I was. Nor what I one day will be. We mentioned this last week, I think. You know, the day's coming when the Lord takes us up into heaven. We're going to all be perfect tens. <laughs> We're going to be just the right weight, you know. <laughs> We're going to be healthier than we have ever been. Time. God gives us time on this earth, but it's, it's so brief. But he's promised us eternity. Maybe you're here today, and you... You've not given your heart to the Lord. You, you, you don't know whether or not that when you die, you'll go to be with him in heaven. God wants you to know. The Bible says you can know. K-N-O-W. Know. And be confident that you're going to go to heaven when you die. If you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you say... I am a sinner. Lord, come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you for dying upon the cross for me. I entrust my life to you, my past, my present, and my future. Save me and be Lord of my life. The Bible teaches that in that moment, God the Holy Spirit comes right into your life because he's the one who is actually drawing you to him. And the words that we speak and the message, the gospel, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's message. And so we're going to sing this hymn of invitation, Living for Jesus. Let's stand, please. And as we sing, it's the Lord's invitation to you to give your life to him. As we sing, you give your heart and your life to him. And then, make it public. Step out and walk down the aisle and make it public. There Jesus, the Bible says, died upon the cross for everyone to see in public. After having borne his cross for everyone to see. Those who would entrust their lives to him, step out and make it public that you believe and have accepted Jesus as Savior. As we say, you make your commitment to him. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.